Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 774. Just because someone has a title or some and an opinion doesn't mean they're right. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, a guy I've been after for a long time, Garth Stein. Garth, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up. All right, here we go. Garth Stein is an author whose book, The Art of Racing in the Rain, is one of my favorites, and it's the most recommended by automotive enthusiasts here on the Cars Yeah! podcast. The Art of Racing in the Rain has sold more than 4 million copies in 35 different languages around the world, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for three years. That book inspired several young readers' editions, as well as children's books, adaptations about the dog Enzo, and a stage adaptation as well. Garth's latest novel, A Sudden Light, and previous acclaimed novels include Raven Stole the Moon and How Evan Broke His Head and Other Secrets. Garth is an author of a full-length play, Brother Jones, and before turning to writing, he was a documentary filmmaker. He lives in the Pacific Northwest up here with me. Well, he doesn't live with me, but he lives here in the Pacific (laughs) Northwest. We can room together. We can room together if you want. Well, we can be on the track together. That's where we really have some fun. (laughs) But uh, I'm talking to a writer, so I have to make sure I've got all my, my P's and Q's here. He's also an avid automotive enthusiast, which includes his Alfa Romeo GTV, and he's raced a spec Miata in the past. And as an added bonus to a very lucky few Cars Yeah! subscribers, Garth is giving away a copy of his The Art of Racing in the Rain and a four-book set of his Garstein Enzo series books for children. So make sure you go to the Cars Yeah! website, hit that free book button, I'll send you my free filler-up book, and your name will be in the hat to win these great books. So Garth, I have told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles. Yeah, I I grew up here in Seattle, and then I moved to New York to go to school, and I stayed in New York for 18 years. And while I was in New York, I I did not own a car, if you can imagine that. Oh, my gosh, the shame. (laughs) Living in the city and all. Yes. And then we moved back out here, my wife and two of my sons, uh, in 2001. Mm -hmm. And my father was doing a lot of... um, high-performance driver education days. He had a Porsche Carrera that he would, Carrera 4, he would take down to Pacific Raceways. Nice. And he said, uh, you should come on to the track with me. And I had a, I had just gotten a WRX and I took it to the track and uh, got bit by the bug. So (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Right. And then I, so I took my, got my competition license uh, with uh, performance, uh, performance, you know, with uh, Don Kitch. Yeah. Don's been a guest here on cars. Yeah. He's great. It taught me everything I know in a neon. And, uh, and then I, uh, I got a Miata and and converted it to spec Miata and I raced for a number of years. And actually, I mean, ridiculous trivia fact, uh, 2004 Northwest region points champion, but everybody was racing in Oregon. <laughs> Very few people raced. <laughs> That's the little known fact is that it, I showed up to every Northwest race. And therefore, I won the award. So, you know what? Just showing up is half the battle, they say. You know, it really is. I mean, crossing the finish line uh, is, is if you can do it consistently, yeah. you can win a season. It never. Yeah, I've raced many times at Pacific Raceway. Let me ask you, what's your favorite corner at that track? 
Uh, you know, it's got to be the uh, the four or five. Oh, yeah. Sequence. It's the trickiest one, and and it's deceptive. And you know, if you if you line it up with the with the Miata, if you line it up just right, you're you're pretty much taking it full out. Yeah. Um, but there's there is that danger to it, and if you hook your right wheels up there going up the hill, mm. um, and you try and get back onto the track, you will cross the track and possibly get collected. So you run into that cliff on or a cliff. It's a hill kind of on the left side there. I saw a car flip on that. That yep. was a Lotus and man, Ooh. he was not pleased. And it was only on a track day too. It wasn't even in a race. Wow. Sometimes those are the worst. And I'll tell you a quick little side story. My first day on that track was at the BMW club. I wanted to, to go vintage racing and I thought I better go out there and see if I'm comfortable at speed. We spent a whole day. I had an M3 at that time. At the end of the day, the instructors took us out in their cars to show how really fast you could go because we were all novices. Right. And the first time we went through that uh, corner, that four or five corner, he was in the wrong place. He lost control. The car rotated, went upside down and down the hill with me in it. Oh, no, you're kidding. That was my first day on the track. Not first time because I'd driven the whole day in my car. But thank goodness we were in his car and we ended up upside down. And, and when the car stopped sliding down the hill, I turned to him and I said, was that part of the lesson? Oh, <laughs> he looked at me. With, he said, no. I yeah. said, well, you might want to turn your car off. Yeah, that was my introduction to Pacific Raceway, but I can knock on wood. I, I had a few incidents there, but nothing that serious. So, uh, oh, we'll carry on. So watch that four or five. That's a nasty one if you don't get that <laughs> just right. It's fun. If, if you get it right, man, it's fun. Yeah, and it sets you up for six really nice if you do it yeah, right. But if you don't, sure ooh, nasty. Well, as we continue on your journey, we're going to have a little more safety here in our talk today. I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is uh, something that has some meaning to you, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So, Garth, take the wheel. Well, you know, I, I have to go to the art of racing in the rain because, you know, that's what cars and, and literature and all that kind of stuff come together in that. And so, of course, Enzo's mantra in that is um, that which you manifest is before you. Yes. So, you know, it's 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 pretty um, – straightforward, I think, but it's an important life lesson that Enzo uh, learns and shares with us, which is uh, which is something I learned from racing, which is you can't complain about where you are, right? Like when you go racing, the first thing they tell you, you know, when you, you know this, they, when you're a novice, they bring you into the, the chief steward brings you into the trailer and sits all the novices down, you know, and they put a big orange sticker on your car so that everyone knows to stay away from the you. sticker of shame. <laughs> yeah, right. And then uh, he sits down and he says, the, the chief steward, uh, in my case, it was Jeff Zershmead down in, in Oregon. Sure. Oh, I know Jeff. Yeah, he's yeah. been a guest on the show here, too. Yeah, he was chief steward when I started back back in the oh, 2002. Cool. And he uh, he said, listen, um, no one made you come here. You were here on your own volition. So anything that happens to your car is your responsibility. Mm. And uh, everyone licks their own wounds here. And that's how it works. So we don't adjudicate. We don't care how it happened or why it happened, unless you're acting recklessly, of course, but there's no blame. Uh, you know, you can't say that guy hit me. Yeah. And that really changes the way you go out on the track because, you know, if you know car number 13 gets squirrely in turn four, then guess what? Don't pass car number 13 in turn four. Yeah. But this idea that it doesn't matter how you got where you are. If there's an incident that happens on the track, if it's your fault or if it's the fault of another driver, 
it's kind of irrelevant. Right. The point is you have, you can't worry about that, especially during a race. You have to be spending all of your mental energy focused down the track. Mm-hmm. Why you're there doesn't matter. How you can improve your position is what matters. And so this idea of taking that axiom and applying it to our daily life, which is, you know, we, you lose your job, you lose your car, something bad happens, misfortune. You can sit around and say, oh, woe is me and complain and grovel and in the discomfort, or you can say, it doesn't matter whose fault it is that I'm here. Here is where I am right now. How do I get myself better? How do I improve my position? Uh, and so I think that's, that's sort of the message of the book that I would give you as my, uh, my mantra. The wisdom of Enzo. Now, real quickly, before I jump into the next question, because again, I asked people their favorite book, and I've asked 773 people before you, and your book is by far the winning. The next one right under yours, by the way, is the book by A.J. Bame, Go Like Hell. Oh, you know, I blurbed that book, too. <laughs> there you go. Let me real quick ask you, I mean, you're, everybody, the first thing you say is, the book is a story through the dog's eyes. Where did that come from? Well, that actually came from my documentary filmmaking life. Uh, before I, when I was still living in New York, before I was writing, um, I made documentary films and I had seen a film. Someone had asked me to consult on, on distribution of it. It was made in Mongolia and it was called State of Dogs. And it was really a lovely film. It was about this, the belief among the nomadic people in Mongolia that the next incarnation for their dog will be as a person. Mm. And so there are certain burial rituals they do to release the spirit of the dog and stuff. And it's, it's, it was really a, a lovely film. I didn't get involved with it for a number of reasons, but it was, I did watch it. It made a big impression on me. Okay. And then years later, I was at a poetry reading here in Seattle and uh, Billy Collins was reading um, one of his poems. And he's a terrific poet and very funny sometimes. And he was reading a poem uh, that was being told from doggy heaven. So <laughs> okay. it was, yeah. it was being narrated from dog who had recently been euthanized. And the first line of the poem is this. I am the dog you put to sleep as you like to call the needle of oblivion. Come back to tell you this simple thing. I never liked you. <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah, and it goes on and on. It's, it's, it's called The Revenant. It's a, it's a hysterical poem. It's in a collection called The Trouble with Poetry. Oh, and wow. And I heard that voice and I was like, oh, that idea about a dog being reincarnated as a person, I can tell that story, but I have to tell it from the dog's point of view. And yeah. the dog's got to have a real attitude, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Angry about, as I got to know Enzo, he, he mellowed out much, much nicer and gentler than yes. uh, Billy Collins' dog. But that's where the <laughs> dog came from. So I had this idea of a dog and this this goal, the dog wants to be reincarnated. And I happened to be racing Spec Miata at the time. And I was like, what a perfect place to put the world of this story. Ah, very nice. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. You talked about your dad offering to bring you to the track and getting you involved. But is there a pivotal moment that you can think of maybe even before that when you realized that you were indeed a car guy? Well, I went, I was trying to think about a, a specific moment. I, I, I can't really think of a, like one, you know, lightning bolt sort of thing. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I, you know, I was, I'm an old guy, 64, I was born. And so I remember my first few years of life, I guess, were spent in Los Angeles. Uh, we moved up to Seattle when I was seven. So when I was a kid, my father would like have extra work to do on weekends and stuff. And he and I would sit in the, we had like a screened porch kind of thing mm-hmm. um, in our house. And we would watch racing, car racing on a black and white Zenith. You remember in the days when you had a knob and you had to turn it? To turn- <laughs> yeah, you had to walk over to the TV to change Yeah, right. Remember that? From was- one channel to two to three and that was all you got. Right, right, right. I mean, if God forbid you get up and 
fix the rabbit ears. And then people are always like, no, stay there, stay yeah. there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's, you know, we would spend our Sundays watching racing, indie stuff, Formula One stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we were never kind of big stock car uh, uh, things, but um, there was a bit of a heyday back then, you know, in the late 60s. Right. And uh, it would, he'd be doing his work and I'd be watching TV. And uh, and so I think I've all, he and I always kind of bonded over that. Eventually, I got to go to, I was, I was dating a girl who's in college who's, um, father was some big wig in Detroit or something. And at that time, the U.S. Grand Prix was in Detroit for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. I remember that. He gave me all access passes one year. Whoa. And there was no restriction. I mean, it was crazy. I was sitting at the end. I mean, there were the jersey barriers and a hairpin turn. Uh-huh. And I literally could reach over and slap the drivers on the helmet. Oh, as they I didn't, but I could have. Yeah. I, you know, we're getting hit by marbles flying off the yeah, track. Wow. And Ayrton Senna um, was there and mm. I watched him race and he won that race. Wow. And the crowd for the Brazilian uh, cheer crowd was, you know, with all their flags and everything was just, it was just incredible. So wow. I, I think that there was that sort of accumulation of loving that concept and then getting into a car and saying, oh, this is way funner than I, than I ever could have imagined. Well, yeah. Boy, to be there to see Senna run, mm, that must have been pretty darn cool. I love it. Well, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down. Talk about a career challenge or even a career failure. I want you to kind of take us there and walk us through it, but then tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business. Well, you know, there, there are probably a few moments, um, but I, again, I have to go to the world of uh, the art of racing in the rain because, you know, I, I wrote two books before the art of racing in the rain and nobody read them. So, uh, suddenly I had this, uh, no one cared about, you know, mm. so I wrote my first book came out. Nobody cared. The second book came out. However, broke his head and other secrets, won awards, good reviews. Nobody read the book. So I was really kind of at a crossroads and, and, and very concerned about stuff. And here I was going to write a book uh, narrated by a dog. <laughs> yes. And, bold. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. people are like, what are you doing? And, and, you know, the, really the, the only, person who had faith in me was my was my wife and she's like Enzo's going to go around the world just keep going just wow, keep going nice and I wrote it in the summer of 2006 that's how old the book is it was uh, it kind of came sort of magically I, I wrote the first draft in in four months essentially and and I sent it off to my agent in New York and um, waited patiently for him to call and he finally called me and I remember the day specifically, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving in 2006, because my in-laws were coming into town from New York for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. And so I had to like make everything perfect. Right? I had to go pick <laughs> yeah. up my turkey, the whole foods. And, um, and he called me and uh, I said, what'd you think of the book? And he said, um, it's narrated by a dog. And I said, right. Oh, you got it. <laughs> you got that part. That's, that's like the first page. Yes. What do you think of the, of the book? Yeah. And he said, I can't sell a book narrated by a dog. Oh, my gosh. No one will buy a book narrated by a dog. No publisher will publish a book narrated by a dog. He said, it's not even narrated by a dog. It's narrated by an author pretending to be a dog. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I was like, this guy's an agent? <laughs> I so know. Yeah, thanks, pal. I had a huge crisis, and I, and I fired him. You know, I was just thinking in my mind, uh, you're fired. I'm going to go find somebody else. <laughs> well, I did. I fired him. I said, I got to go find someone else. And I went to find someone else, and no one would take it. Like oh. I, all these agent, agent after agent after agent said, you, you can't do this. It's, it's an adult book and, but it's narrated. You could do, if it was a kid's book narrated by a dog, that's cute, but not for adult. And they, no one knew how to handle it. And I really, um, 
had a crisis of faith and I, and I said, maybe I'm completely wrong and I should throw the book away and go write something else, which is oh. you know, what my original agent told me to do. And then I was at a fundraiser for King County Library Systems and it was a big gala event and there were a bunch of authors there and I was at the pre-author, pre-event dinner for authors and we're sitting around the table introducing ourselves, you know, and it came around to me and I said, my name is Garth and I'm really frustrated because I've got this book, you know, and I think it's really good, but it's narrated by a dog and no agent will touch it. And this other writer sitting across the table from me looked up from his plate and he said, oh, you should call my agent. He sold my book and it's narrated by a crow. <laughs> a crow. That's funny. Yeah. This is a true story. Oh my gosh. So I- I sent my uh, manuscript off to his agent and uh, he called me up two days later and he was crying and he said, you have to let me have this book. I, I know I can sell it. Oh my gosh. Wow. So it came that close to yeah. evaporate. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that's sort of a life lesson, I believe of, of and, I, and I believe it's poetically just that I had to go through some sort of Mm-hmm. trial to get this book out because that's sort of what the book is about, right? In, in Enzo and Denny go through all sorts of um, events and have to persevere. The whole message is, you know, Denny has to stay on the track, keep his head, don't get, don't panic. And then when the moment comes, make his move. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that, you know, especially with high school students and stuff, when I speak at high schools, I, I like to tell them the message that, you know, just because someone has a title or some and an opinion doesn't mean they're right. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you believe it truly in your heart, you have to make the sacrifices to make it happen. Wow. So in that sense, um, I think that's my. Uh, yeah. What a story. Holy cow. It did, change my, it did change my life. You know, suddenly three years on the New York Times bestseller list makes now suddenly everybody was caring what I was writing about. Yeah. So. Everybody wants you on their podcast. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Wow. What a story. Well, I appreciate you taking us there, man. You think about how close you came. There's a metaphor to racing, how close I came to going off the track there, there and there. So, but I, I finished. So very nice. And I won in this case. Awesome story. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. I like to say it's a time those headlights illuminate your way for a new idea, new direction, new career move. So tell us what your aha moment was. Well, I, I guess my my big career move was um, when, I, when I was making documentary films, um, which I really loved to do. And I made several films and, and I made my own stuff, I had a film on PBS. And, and then I also worked for other people. So and it was it was nice. But I, I was making a uh, I'd gotten a grant to make a film on um, these two homeless uh, rap musicians in Brooklyn. Um, they weren't living on the streets homeless. You know, they were like squatting with friends. They just didn't have like their own place. But, you know, it was they were living – it was a sketchy life that they were doing. But they were really talented and they were trying to – it was in the early 90s and they were trying to be rap stars. And so I was making this film and, and we were having a great time doing it. I saw some real interesting things as this was going. And then um, I ran out of money and I said, whoops, I got to stop everything and – uh go raise some money. Cause this, this is the pre-digital age. Right. So it actually cost more. You know, I, you, we didn't have phones that could make movies. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. GoPros and all this. Stuff. Right. Right. Exactly. So I had to stop everything and, and try and work on a grant proposal and all this. And I got really kind of frustrated by that. And I said, I, I don't want to work in a world where I have to spend 90% of my time trying to raise money to be creative. I want to be creative and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started writing my first book, uh, Raven stole the moon. While I was still trying to raise money and stuff, you know, I kind of was doing it on the side and, and it got, I was sort of spinning my 
uh, creative wheels in a way. Um, and, and then I gave it to my, my wife and she said, wow, I didn't, she said, I, I thought it was going to be terrible. It's actually really good. And so I knew somebody who knew somebody, um, who had knew an agent. And, uh, so she sold it and I was like, whoa, that's all I have to do. I'm going to be a writer now. So that's where I turned to writing and, uh, and really sort of found my groove, which I, which I love writing novels is really a lot of fun for me. Absolutely. How about a Prodder's career moment? I would assume you've had many as you've moved through these different parts of your journey, but is there one that really stands out and means a lot to you? Um, you know, it, it, I get, a, it's, it's always nice to hear from individual readers. I get tons of emails and stuff still to this day that, you know, people have been moved by things that I've written, which is really nice because that's, that's the, the connection that, that an artist wants to make. When I was doing the art of racing in the rain in the beginning, actively promoting it a lot on the road, um, I got a, a call from Bob Bondaron down in Phoenix. Right. And he said, I love your book. I take my dog Rusty out in the car all the time. You got to come down to Phoenix and we're going to do some something. And I said, sounds good to me. So I went down to Phoenix and we did a fundraising thing where we did an event at the track and then the news came and then we did a, a signing at a, a local shopping area and um, I sold copies of my book. He sold copies of his book and the bookstore Changing Hands Books donated partial proceeds to this organization that Bob really liked to support called Gideon's Angels, which is therapy dogs mm. for uh, uh, teen victims of abuse. And so uh, all these supporters from Gideon's Angels came to buy books. And so everybody was happy. Everybody was thrilled. You know, the bookstore got to sell books. My publisher got to make their money. You know, I like signing books. The, the supporters got to support their organization. You know, it was a win-win-win situation. So I brought that back to Seattle. I had a bunch of friends. We would hang out. We had what we called wine and wine moments where we would drink wine and complain about the book business. Oh, I get you. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were just drinking a lot of wine. No, well, it was a lot of wine, but we were always <laughs> wine with an H as well. Yes. We were doing because we were complaining about just, you know, our, my, my publisher, my marketing budget, my, yeah. you know, all, uh, the things that in the business kind of stuff. Sure. And I said, you know, we can keep doing this, but why don't we try doing some other stuff too? And that's when we started a nonprofit. There were seven of us and we started a nonprofit called Seattle Seven Writers. And that was about eight years ago. And we now have 80 some local uh, Northwest authors. And we do have done a ton of uh, good deeds for the literary community. Oh, wow. in the Northwest. You know, we, yeah. we rehome books to places where they have a need, but no budget. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've rehomed, I think over 50,000 books in the past eight years. Wow. We just started a program last week teaching writing to um, the offenders at Larch Correctional Facility down in Yakult, Washington, mm -hmm. giving these guys some skills, communication skills. So when they, when they get released, uh, you know, they have that under their belt. We do fun kind of public events. We always partner with local bookstores and with libraries and that sort of thing. And it's it's become very gratifying um, to be uh, one of the founders of this organization. And, uh, you know, we all feel that... Um, it's easy to become isolated if you're a writer. Yes. Yeah, I understand. Podcaster too. Right. I mean, you kind of can work alone and, and no one cares. So we like getting out there in public, but we also have to be aware that the world needs attention, that we can't just take from the literary world. We have to make sure that we have bookstores to sell our books, that we have libraries to loan our books, and we have readers who are excited to read our books. Yeah. So that's kind of been my most, I think that that would be my proudest accomplishment is, um, you know, starting this nonprofit and having it succeed to such a degree. 
Well, you've inspired me of uh, trying to come up with something similar, maybe with some fellow podcasters. So thank you for that. Let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time again. What's your first really special car? That first car you got finally always lusted after, always wanted, and maybe tell a quick story about that vehicle. You know, I'm a late bloomer as a car guy. I mean, my first car, Get you're going to laugh if I tell you what my first car was, Mark. Oh, come on. Tell me. A Peugeot 504. Oh, Peugeot. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not laughing, buddy. I'm it had laughing. a, it had a, <laughs> it was a stick shift with the shift on the tree. Oh, okay. The three in the tree? Yeah, it was four. It actually oh, had four whoa, years, whoa. believe it or not. That was special. Yeah. Right now. But it was so loose, man. I didn't, I didn't have to use a clutch. Okay. Yeah. I could just rev match it and shift it like that. Power shift. And it, it, it's funny because when I drive my Alpha around now, it feels very much like that Peugeot, you know, no power assist on that rack and pinion steering, you know, sure. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you know, if hopefully, you know, God forbid it rain and you have to make the defroster try and clear a windshield, yeah. just pull off, just, just forget it. Just don't go. And up here in Seattle, it does rain a few times a year. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, my, probably my favorite car, I, uh, so that was my Peugeot and then I moved to New York and, and eventually my wife and I, it's true. We did have a couple of cars there in the end, but they weren't anything exciting or dramatic. I have three boys and there's kind of an age gap between the first two and the third. When my first two boys got old enough to get in and out of a difficult car, I got a Mazda RX-8 and I loved that car. Yeah. That was an awesome, awesome car. And I would take it, I would track it just for fun. Mm -hmm. And then my wife got pregnant with our third son and she said, you have to be responsible now. You got to get a different car. Oh, I hate it when the wives say those words. I know, right? So I was like, well, it's going to be a stick shift. I got the last model year of the uh, Audi S4 Avant. Oh, nice. Stick shift with a V8 in it. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. I still have it. Good for you. Good for you. Well, speaking of still having, let's talk about what you don't still have. And that is the seller's remorse question I ask all my guests. Is there one vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back? Um. Yeah, well, my, my, my race car, my, mm -hmm. my Miata, I made a deal with a local guy who had some rental cars that I would kind of trade it for, cause I didn't want to deal with it. I was getting so busy with the art of racing in the rain. It was hard for me to keep up a, a race car. You yeah. know, it takes a lot of time and attention, as yeah. you know. Oh yeah. And you have to have, a, then you have to have the van and the trailer for the race car. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It's just, it just compounds. Right. So I sold it to him for a certain amount of cash and also the number of races that he would be, that I would do turnkey, that he would take care of, you know, he would bring the car to the race and I would race it. And so we made the deal. And then I said, well, I'm taking out for one more race. It was at Pacific Raceways in August and it was raining. And, uh, it was after they made that adjustment to the, to the straight. Oh, where you didn't have to cross the drag strip. Yeah, right? Yeah, thank goodness they did that. That was good, but you know, when they first did it, they didn't do a very good job of it, and so there would be some standing water that would accumulate in yes. the kinks. Yes, uh-huh. And so I was doing well in the race. It was raining the whole race and and I was doing really well. I was feeling good and and I was, you know, probably in the top 5 or 6 running in the top 5 or 6. And I hit that that standing water. Ooh. And it just snapped around and uh Yeah. I kept on thinking. I remember th going backwards down the straight. And I thought, hmm, if I'm lined up just right, I make, make it all the way down to the infield to turn one. <laughs> and then bam, I hit the wall and bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Once you hit one, then you shoot across yeah. and hit the other and it just becomes a pinball. It annihilated the car. Oh. And I, they pulled me out, you know, the record came for the car and the medical pulled me out and checked me out in the infield. And they said, no, you're okay. And I said, uh, I called up my wife and I said, uh, honey, um, the good news is I'm okay. The, the bad news is I've destroyed my car. And she said to me, and the good news is is you're retired. Oh, ouch. 
much. So, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. I came over from a weekend at Sears Point once and blew up two motors in one weekend oh. and two vintage race cars. And yeah, I think that was the beginning of the end for my sponsorship, which is basically coming from the household funds. Right, exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sorry for that, but I know that there might be a potential, um, Getting back on the track coming up here soon. Can we talk about that or is that all top secret? No, no, it's not top secret. I mean, I, I think it's going to happen. Um, I have a real good relationship with with the guys at Mazda. They actually called me up early on when the book came out. And, and one of the guys called me up from the marketing department and said, uh, you, you must race because no one can write a book like this without having raced. And I said, yeah, yeah, I raced. I said, and they said, well, what, what do you race? And, and of course it's Mazda calling, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and I said to them, I use this line and they've been using this line ever since. I said, everything I learned about racing, I learned in a Miata. Oh, nice. So they love that. Yeah. They're like, we're going to put you in an MX five cup car for a race. And cool. I said, awesome. So I got to do that. That was a bunch of years ago. I down in Portland in the MX-5, which I didn't really like because I'd only raced in the Miata. And the Miata is a stripped-down momentum car. Light car, yeah. Yeah, with, you know, 110 horsepower if, if you've had your energy drink. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there's no ABS or anything. It's yeah. the MX-5, it's all, it's a bigger engine, of course, and a heavier car, but it's all ABS. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to race ABS. I go down there and I'm trying to race it like it's a Miata and it's not. And then, so another racer who was there, Charles Esplanade was there. And I said, can you give me some hints on this? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he takes me out. He's like, yeah, just take it as deep as you can stomp on it. You're not going to spin. It's got ABS. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I didn't like it. So, yeah, you know, I had, I didn't really do it anymore. And then uh, I just got a call from the Mazda guys and the first model year of the Miata, the 1.6, is just turned 25 years old this year. Wow, we're getting old, Garth. I know, and that's what I raced. So it's now going to start racing. It's going to be a vintage. It can, it can, it's eligible for vintage now. Cool. And so they're doing a whole promotion of it uh, at Mazda, and they said, "Could you come and race the 1.6 down in Portland in July?" So it looks like that's going to happen if we work out whatever what car I'm driving and all that, but that would be a whole lot of fun because that's a car I feel comfortable in. That's the car I owned and, and, and Portland is a track that I'm very familiar with. So I, I, I would really uh, look forward to doing that. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. I've raced at Portland many times. Great track. I've had the track director here as a guest on the show and let me know when that happens. Send me some pictures. Very, very cool. Lucky you. If you need a pit crew guy, just give me a call. Okay. Yeah, sure. You got it, man. Now I know you're working on a new book. Can you talk about it at all? I got a, I have a new book. Um, I mean, the, the fun thing, the book that just came out is my, is another children's book. So I have four of these little Enzo books, um, as we have dubbed them. So people have always said, can you do a sequel to the art of racing in the rain? And I said, I really can't because this is not a spoiler alert. You learn this early on in the, in the first chapter, um, Enzo dies at the end of the book. Right. So how do you do, uh, how do you do a sequel? So what we, what I started doing in these children's picture books and they're really fun and there's, the intro one, the very first one. And then we started doing kind of holiday stuff. So there's a Halloween version, which I think is, I had so much fun writing that. Enzo gets transformed into a fire breathing dragon. It's hysterical and, and a Christmas one. And the new one is called Enzo and the 4th of July races. So we actually get to go to the racetrack and, and my illustrator, um, Bob Alley is terrific and he has real feel for it. And so it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. So I've been out promoting that and, um, uh, working on a, a new one of those. Um, and I'm also writing, I just finished a draft of a new novel, No Dogs and No Race Cars. Some different. I know. Yeah. It's about uh, two 80 year old ladies, um, who become 
new best friends and uh, get involved in funny, amusing capers in the Seattle area. But of course, something goes wrong and suddenly they're involved in a murder Ooh. mystery. So okay. uh, cool. uh, it's it's based on my 87-year-old mother's life. So. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, you know, I'll let our listeners know, I've got all four of these Enzo books, these kids' books. They're wonderful. I picked them up when I ran into Garth up at Group 2 Motorsports up in Seattle, and I'm going to have the uh, owner of that facility as a guest coming up here soon on Cars Yeah, but they're wonderful books. If you've got children in your life, even if you're just just a car person. They're just fun to read. Your illustrator, as you said, did a great job. I always save these kind of things. So if I'm ever fortunate enough to be a grandfather someday, uh, these books are going to go to those kids. But right now, they all four sit on my shelf. So uh, check those out. I'll have links to ways to get your hands on all of Garth's books on his show notes page here at Cars Yeah. Now, Garth, here's a very introspective question for you. If Garth was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? I can, I, you know, it, it's, it's, that's a really difficult question. I know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is I've given it a little bit of thought. Like, for instance, I would definitely not be a Prius. Okay. No offense to the <laughs> Prius owners out there. No, you're a racer. You know, I, I wouldn't be a Prius either. So, well, the thing about, the thing about racing is that it's a, uh, it's high risk and I'm not sure I'm that high risk and high maintenance. I like to think of myself as not high maintenance, but I'm sure my wife would disagree. <laughs> um, so I do have an issue with that. You know, honestly, my, my teenagers have, have come to tell me that I have a lot of gray hair now. Hey, at least you have hair, buddy. So be happy for that. <laughs> well, they, they jokingly say I have vintage hair. Oh, because, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so therefore I'm going to have to default to, you know, when I got to a certain amount of success with the art of racing in the rain, I said, I've always wanted an Alpha. I've all, I love the look of the Alpha GTV. Oh, yeah. And I ended up getting, um, I got one. And um, my Alpha, it's a GTV 2000, 1974. And it, it, it's, a, it's a good, honest car, as they say in the, in the business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no accidents or anything. And, and I've slowly been working on it. I've had it for about five years now. Nice. It's cool because it's, uh, it's surprisingly dependable. I had it in a, in storage for four months over the winter and I went to, and I figured I'll have to boost it and put it on a, I didn't even, I didn't have it on a trickle charger and I got behind the wheel after four months and turned the ignition and it fired right up. Wow. So I think I would be my, I, I would be that car because, okay. you know, it's kind of classic in design. It, it kind of, people look at it when I driving around town with that, people turn their heads and they're like, whoa, give me the thumbs up, yeah, you know, yeah. cops, give me the thumbs up, everybody. And, and that's kind of, I like to think of myself as a dependable vintage guy who, um, people can rely on and maybe I can, you know, uh, be a classic styling and, and maybe turn a few heads. How about that? Well, I think it's a great answer to that question. I appreciate you giving some thought to that. And I'll let our listeners know, I, I know that car. I've seen that car. It's a beautiful little GTV. It's a wonderful kind of eggplant color. What's the, this factory color for that <laughs> it's called Foggio. 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 Oh, I like it. Almost a Foggio, yeah. but Foggio. Yeah. Which, okay. which was funny. I when I when I went to get it when I bought it and I had to go get it registered. You know, I had to get the title for it. And I go into the DMV here near me, and she says, uh, "What's the color?" And I said, "Foggio." And she she says, "What?" What? And I said, um, "Eggplant." Yeah. And she's like, 
what? Yeah. And I said, purple. Purple. She's like, oh, okay, purple. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want purple down there. I want Bungeo. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a beautiful little car. I love GTVs. They're just one of those cars I'd love to have my hands on. Of course, I loved, I'd rather have the GTA and go racing in it. I know. And right? my good friend Bill up here in the Northwest, he raced the GTA for years and he let me drive it once. And ooh, his was a full on race car. It's all stripped out. Very loud. Very cool. Very neat. Very, very nice. So, Garth, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kid spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom patterned for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Garth, we are back, and we're entering the last lap. You know what that means? The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? If you're going to have a 1974 Alfa Romeo GTV 2000, be sure to get the premier level of AAA because they'll tow within 250 miles. <laughs> yeah, and have a great cell phone. That's the other. <laughs> that's the other only thing, only tool you need in the bag. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success as a rider over the years? It's all about seat of your pants to the seat of your chair. You got to get the work done. Talking about writing is not writing. Reading what you wrote yesterday is not writing. Thinking about what you're going to write tomorrow is not writing. Writing is writing, so yes. get it done. Get it done. Now, how about a resource? There are tons of great resources out there, but uh, are there one or two you could share with our listeners you really enjoy? Yeah, you know, I'm really non-internet based for some reason. Uh, I mean, I, I go to my very small news circle kind of thing. So most of my stuff is literary based, um, and I'm not sure anybody would be interested in. <laughs> but if you want to, you go to shelfawareness.com. Uh, <laughs> That's the first time that's been recommended, so... That's fine. Cool. We'll put a link to that on your show notes page. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? 
Oh Lord, that's like a <laughs> I Keenan know. Farina, maybe. Oh yeah. I mean, I would say Ferrari, but I don't think he was not a very nice guy, right? Well, yep, some say he wasn't, but uh, I didn't know him, so I won't pass judgment. Um, I think one of the great car designers would be fun. Definitely. Being an artist, I think, as you are, definitely. I would love to sit down with him and listen to him talk about his concepts of design because so many of his cars are just, oh, delicious, delicious, fantastico. Now, of course, I asked all my guests this question. If there's a book you think our listeners would enjoy reading, what would it be? Of course, all of <laughs> yeah. your books are going to be on the list. So let's push push those aside because I'm going to have wait, links wait, to wait, those. Wait, wait, wait. No, I got to do so, so for a moment. They got to read the artist in the <laughs> well, ring. Of and course they do. Yeah. Always read a fresh copy. Yes, yes. You know, I'll tell our listeners, uh, I've got a couple copies in my house. My son introduced me to you. You went and spoke at his school down here near Gig Harbor, uh, oh, yeah. Charles Wright Academy. He was That's in right. school there, and he had a wonderful English teacher. And he came home, he goes, Dad, you're going to love this book. He, he read like half of it on the bus on the way home. And he goes, Dad, you got to read this book. And I met the author, and he signed it for me. It's so cool. And I said, okay, fine. And yeah, I sat down and couldn't put it down. So I went and got my own copy because he said, well, this is mine, Dad. You know, you can't have it. <laughs> so go ahead. Do your pitch. Do your pitch. No, no, no. I, I'm teasing. I, I understand what you're saying. The thing is, again, um, I'm going to go off uh, the car theme for some reason. Honestly, I think everybody's got to have a little magic in their lives. So there's this great uh, Spanish writer, uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafon, and he has um, a trilogy of books, um, uh, Shadow of the Wind, um, Angel's Game, and um, Prisoner of Heaven. Ooh. And they take place in Barcelona in the 50s, and they're just brilliantly done. And if you've been to Barcelona, you'll recognize everything. This, the city is a character in the book. And if you have not been to Barcelona, you will want to go. Yeah, yeah, beautiful place. Well, I'll make sure that I put links to those books on your show notes page. You're the first one to recommend that author, so I'm very excited to have some new books here at Cars Yeah. And I'll remind our listeners there's a wonderful resource on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where these books and all the recommendations from the past 773 guest books are listed. And, of course, as I said at the beginning, Garth Stein's The Art of Racing in the Rain is the most requested or listed book on that list. So congratulations. You you hold that title and have held that title for almost three years here. Now on Cars Yeah. So you got a lot of fans here at Cars Yeah. All right. We are up to the checkered flag, Garth. This is where it gets really fun. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any car in the world, collector car, race car, anything. Money's no object. We're going to get out the big, big checkbook here at Cars Yeah and buy you whatever you'd like. What would it be? And more importantly, why? Now, this, I actually uh, gave this some uh, pre-thought here. Now, it, w- it would be easy to say, what are the benefits that you get when you write a, a very popular book uh, that has dogs in it and race cars? Is you get a tour of the Ferrari factory in um, Marinello. Ooh, yes. And so I got that and uh, had a great deal of fun there. And then they took me over to the track, which is used to be the test track, but is no longer, you know, they have a different track for yep. that. It's, it's their client track. Yes. And they showed me the hangar where they have everybody's personal cars. So you can buy, it has to, they, they don't, they don't sell them unless they're two years old for the technology reasons. Um, but you can buy a Formula One race car and keep it there and then go race it whenever you're in Italy, just drop by the track and Mm -hmm. they'll get it ready for you. I thought that would be pretty, pretty darn cool. And that was absolutely going to be my answer. I want, I want a formula one, uh, Ferrari. Okay. However, yeah, I, in the spirit of, of fathers, um, of, of days past, 
my father, who, who, as I, as I mentioned to you, uh, died eight years ago. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he loved cars and I, uh, hung out with him and, and watched cars. When I was a kid, maybe five years old, he gave me a little model car. It was not, it was bigger than a matchbox and it was, it was more sophisticated. Corgi. Somebody, yeah, I, it was probably a was, Corgi. Yeah. Uh huh. It was, so it was a little bit bigger and it had a little, it could come apart in a cool way. And I loved that car. And I, that was like my favorite model car ever. And so, and I found it recently because oh, my sons nice. have adopted it. It's been trashed. I mean, it's just been abused, but for some reason it's, it means has special father son significance to me. So therefore, if you're going to buy me a car, uh-huh. you're going to be buying me a Di Tomasa Mangusta. Oh, a ma- oh, oh God. Uh, yeah, I'm very aware. Of those, that is another one of my bucket list cars. Yeah, when that car came out in the late sixties, uh, yes, there was a gentleman that lived not too far from me in La Jolla, California, that had one, and I saw it in downtown La Jolla, and I just like went, "What is that?" Ah, very familiar. Yeah, okay. There is one for sale, one on the market, right? There are only four hundred one of them made. This was not the Pantera. This is oh, I, I know. Pantera. It's not the Pantera. No, the Mongusta. Yes. There were 401 of them made, and one of them is currently on the market. Oh, perfect. Mark, you can get it for me. I'm going to give you the website information. Okay, yeah, offline, just, just put and, uh, <laughs> it. It's, the, the asking price is $370,000, oh, but gosh. it's negotiable. Oh, well, that's that's easy, because I've had like 12 people ask for GTO Ferraris. I mean, so yours, <laughs> yours is a piece of cake. I, I'll, I'm sure they'll take a credit card. I'll just uh, do that, and I'll have it shipped here down to here to Gar- Gig Harbor, and I'll drive north an hour to Seattle and we'll uh, take it to the track and have some fun and you know go have a coffee but yeah you know you picked a really special car you mentioned that that day at Ferrari I got to do the same thing been to that test track and uh, spent a day with Clienti services and the F1 services and the Classique division so that room I've stood in that room you're in all those F1 cars lined up on each side yeah oh my gosh and did you notice the two or three that had triple seats in them yeah 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 Pretty darn special, but the De Tomasa Mangusta, I love it. I love it. Uh, the car that's for sale, what color is it? Oh, uh, it's it's red, believe it or not. Okay, well, red works, you know, that's fine. There's a there's one up here in the Pacific Northwest that's silver. I don't know if you've seen that car, but uh, it lives up here in the Pacific Northwest. I've seen oh, it. Oh, really? No, yeah, I, I haven't. Yeah, I've seen it at several events, so uh, very cool. Well, you picked one that uh, tugs on my heartstrings, so I'm so happy. you got a big smile on my face, that's for sure. And <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Garth, you have taken us on an awesome ride today and i really enjoyed your stories i want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with me and the listeners i'm so happy i finally got you on the show could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that de tamazo mangusta <laughs> um what, are, what we need now in this world is more empathy so yes the best way that i think that i know of and the easiest and the cheapest way to get to get empathy is by reading fiction so I encourage everybody to go out there. Uh, you know, I read between 30 and 40 or more books a year because that's, that's my job. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that, but everybody should read one novel a year. Let's make that pledge because that will increase your level of empathy. And you'll understand that while we all come from different backgrounds and have different experiences and different values, we all share the human condition. And so we all have to work together. So. That's my advice. You know, it's great advice. And I actually have a fiction book that I'm reading right now that uh, a fellow author, J. Daniel Jones, wrote called Corality. And uh, he was a guest on the show just this past week. Really interesting book about uh, the auction business and TV business and so forth. So uh, that's going to be mine this month to make sure I get through so that um, I follow your lead. But that's great 
great, great words of wisdom. I need to follow my wife. She reads like two books a week. She's a monster. So uh, nice. Well, nice monster. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. I'm sorry, honey. You're, you're a great person. I love you very much. Married for 33 years, so she's put up with me. Well, what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing? I know you have a great website, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, GarthStein.com uh, is my website. From there, you can also go to the um, EnzoKidsWithAZ.com. You can either link to it through my website or go directly to the kids' website, which has all sorts of fun uh, games and in- instructional tools and educational material uh, for my children's books. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter and uh, friend me on Facebook. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Garth has shared today on his show notes page at carsyad.com slash Garth Stein. He's the only Garth here on Cars yeah, so you'll be real easy to find. If you have not read The Art of Racing in the Rain, go get yourself a copy. And if you've got children in your life, whether they're grandchildren, your children, or the kid down the street, grab one or all of these Enzo books and give that to that kid and keep this hobby, this passion for cars alive and the young people in this world around us. So, so important. Hey, Garth, thanks for spending so much time with me today. Thanks for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much, Mark. It was great being on your show. I look forward to hearing it. Fantastic. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, You'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Cars Yeah.